For this survey, we want the top answer only. Whoever guesses this one answer wins the game and will play for $10,000. Name a card game people play for money. Magic the Gathering. What? Magic. Magic the Gathering? Yeah. Magic, Magic the Gathering. What is Magic the Gathering? It's a trading card game. You play that for money? Yeah. yeah. That was a joke. Magic the Gathering. You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, new artifact decks with third path iconoclast. Then on the flashback, testing results with diabolic intent. Plus, picks of the week in modern and pioneer. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online. And I'm joined today by my guy from Argentina. You know him as Mord to Light. It's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome. Hey, Dan. How is it going all the way down in the Holy Land? Where you are not boiling. It's freezing here. <laughs> I am chilly. I'm chilled to the bone. What about you? I'm on the other side. I'm freaking boiling. I walked like five blocks from the bus to my home and I'm like sweating bullets. Like I feel it, the, the tears just drop. I'm jealous. I'm no, I'm not. So jealous. I really prefer the cold to the heat. Like if it's cold, I can fix that. I can get more clothes on. I can fit. Now, either I walk around naked and I risk getting shamped on by kittens. Oh boy. Or I suffering or I have suffered a boiling heat. painting an interesting visual picture for me here. I, I just give you the picture that you know you gotta see. Yeah. <laughs> Kittens are scary. They will shop at anything that moves, even in the slightest bit. They just walk in, they walk me out today attacking my feet. Oh my god. <laughs> they will jump at anything that moves as you walk around unclothed throughout the house. That's the image we provide our viewers with. People sometimes ask, why don't you guys do video podcasts? I'm like, well, this is one of the reasons. This is one reason why. <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't have any visual component to the show. I just got to make sure all the viewers know I always wear clothes when I record. Because I have the camera. <laughs> Dan is looking at me. I have never, not a single time, recorded without a shirt on. Oh, boy. So far. The summer is young. <laughs> Who knows what's coming? That's what the so far is for. If it ever reaches 42 degrees. Hot tub streams. Hot tub streams, yeah. And I'm talking in real units, not American units. Twitch.tv slash Mortalite. If it ever reaches 108 Fahrenheit, I'm just going a stream. <laughs> All right, well, on that note, what better time to ask for some Patreon support? What do you think? <laughs> Get our housekeeping out of the way right at the top. 
Yeah, so for our beautiful patrons, that people that always fantasize about the, about the bathtub stream, we got Shining the Ranks, Team Shea, Tyler C, and Daniel B increasing the pledge. Thanks so much for supporting us, for always keeping us going, and for showing your dedication and your love towards us. But why did they join the Patreon, Dan? What do they get? Well, you get to support the show. That goes a long way. It helps us keep going. You also get some nice perks. For starters, you get to join our wonderful Discord community. It is a beautiful Discord. It certainly is. We got brewers in there all the time throwing around wild ideas. From time to time, you get to vote on cards. We actually have a vote coming up later this week. I've got the list of cards nominated right in front of me here. It's some spicy ones. So look for that episode on Friday, maybe? Shoot me one. Like, give me a spicy one. Mm. I, I haven't seen the deck list for everybody to know. This is only in the CEO's hands. You got a good, juicy hint. I want that juicy one. One of those that... It's likely not going to win because it's too spicy. All right. There's a black enchantment that costs two mana. It's like a heartless summoning. I know exactly the one you're talking about, the new one. Well, it's very old, actually. It's an ancient, ancient build around. It's so advanced that I've never seen anyone in history make a deck around this card. Really? It makes all your spells cost two less to cast. It's called Blood Funnel. I'm not going to read the whole card now. You've got to sacrifice a creature for each spell. Exactly. exactly. I tried if that. you want to cast anything... Oh, you've tried this. Okay. I tried and failed miserably. Like, I tried for, like, literally... I didn't even play it. Like, I just started brainstorming for 45 minutes and gave up. Now this is going to be a challenging one. <laughs> Can you guess who nominated that card is the question? No, I know. I know exactly who did. Oh, you know exactly who did. It's the same person that nominated the Green March. <laughs> That's right, the classic Kilgore Trout nomination. He's challenging us, having us expand our brain muscles. It's like Shobardy, who nominated this card? Is the answer Kilgore Trout? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so if you would like to vote on those cards, I think there's 14 on the ballot this time around. Be sure to listen to our next episode. And of course, sign up for the Patreon where you can hash it all out in the Discord. We'd love to see you there. Yeah. Yeah, so with that being said, we can get on to the order of business for today. We have a new card to brew around. That is Third Path Iconoclast. David has left us some spicy pioneer lists. And this is a card that we've seen in Modern as well. This is one of the higher profile cards, I think that's fair to say. Even in Legacy. Yeah, even in Legacy. We'll also tell you about our testing from last week with Diabolic Intent. And if time permits, we'll take a look at some of the new technology coming out of week two of the Brothers War. Yeah, one of the f one of Dan's favorite cards, both Dan's favorite cards, seeing some beautiful, spiceful play. And David's favorite card in a separate list. <laughs> Which one was David's favorite? We're going to take a that when it comes to that. Let's not spoil anything. These are all like two mana commons. <laughs> two mana commons for draft. These are all the cards we love. I'm surprised by how many of the good cards from Dominaria United are like pretty decent common and uncommons. Yeah, it's impressive. So, good quality set. Speaking of, a decent uncommon. A pretty decent uncommon. Third Path Iconoclast. Blue-red human monk. 2-1, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact creature token. So it's got a lot of the same stats as Young Pyromancer. They're both humans. They both cost two. This one is in Is It Colors. 
Two important differences. First, this creates a colorless artifact creature token. That creature is a soldier. I don't think that is going to come up. I haven't seen anyone trying to do soldier tribal with this. But the fact that it's an artifact does matter a lot. Second, its trigger condition is more generous than Young Kizi, right? Young Pyromancer requires specifically instants and sorceries. Third path triggers off any non-creature spell. So again, that artifact thing is coming up. Like, let's say I want to generate a bunch of artifacts and I'm looking for artifact payoffs in my deck. Stands to reason I would also be playing stuff like Mishra's Bauble or Mishra's Research Desk, perhaps. Want to have a lot of artifacts in that deck, and while Young Pyromancer would ignore those cards, Third Path Iconoclast is happy to trigger off those, or off Planeswalkers, or enchantments even. And I think that might be the best, the biggest difference in its favor. Like, there's a lot of tiny upsides alongside it, but just triggering out of anything is what just brings you to the card. So it's fair to say that, I mean, apart from having more stringent color requirements, this is just a better card overall than Young Pyromancer. However, Young Pyromancer is not exactly blowing anyone's socks off these days. It's, it's kind of an old man's card. The times have passed by Young Pyromancer and its ilk. Yeah, you have to be a lot better than Young Pyromancer to see play, not just a tiny bit better. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the questions that I have, at least going into this week. Like, sure, we know how to build decks that trigger this a bunch of times. The question is, can those decks win? Because they, they haven't been winning in the past. So what's going to change? I mean, is the fact that it's making artifact tokens enough to make this more useful, more of a synergy piece? Is it possible that we just needed more of the Young Pyromancer effect? Like, is 8 Pyromancer the future of this card? And I think the answers to those questions can take us in a few different directions. Yeah. I said it on the spoiler, and I'm going to say it again. I think the flavor text tells you exactly how to play this card. What is the flavor text? When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I merely propose expanding our toolbox. When it only triggers an instant of sorceries, you only see sorcery decks. I just propose to expand our toolbox. All right, reading the card explains the card. <laughs> we like that. It's telling you, don't play me like young PC. <laughs> All right, so it's, again, a fairly straightforward, simple card, I think. Let's just dive into some lists. What do you think? Yeah, of course. Are we diving straight into Pioneer or Modern first? Well, in Pioneer, we have the original Brews. Uh, modern maybe is a quicker discussion. We'll, we'll start in Modern. Yeah, we can start with Modern, where it's more as a... In, modern is more of a role player in certain decks. Yeah, I think so. So one of the first homes that people proposed was the Is It Grinding Station deck. Grinding Station, Underworld Breach, surround that with some temple cards like Ragavan, like Emery, like Urza Saga, Ledger Shredder sometimes. And you have a deck that, you know, can apply pressure, and if at any point shields go down, you can combo them out. Now, does that deck want a third path iconoclast? They're trying it in the place of mostly Ledger Shredder, for I have seen. And it also plays it works as a combo piece if you lose your Thassasora boost. It does. Uh, the way that that works is that when you have the grinding station and the breach in play, you cast your amber or your mistress bubble that lets you untap the grinding station. If the iconoclast is in play, you generate an extra artifact token, which means an extra untap on the grinding station. So what ends up happening is you get to mill them for three in addition to milling yourself for three. So it kind of mills both players out. Yeah, and as they get to draw later, 
it can in a lot of scenarios just mill them out, say go, and they will lose on the draw step. And there was some concern that, okay, that doesn't work if your library is smaller than theirs. Um, but you can find a second Iconoclast while doing this, perhaps, and then you have enough to mill them out. It doesn't matter if your library is less. It matters if your graveyard plus library is less. Right? Does that make sense? I haven't actually tried this. Like, if you have, like, 10 cards in the graveyard and 42 in the library, you can steal your opponent for 52. Hmm. Actually, you can mill them for more, because you're, you don't have to keep milling yourself, actually. For every you could just mill them twice. Right, there's a certain point where you no longer need to mill yourself. Exactly. You just point everything at them, say go. Hopefully you have not triggered Mishra's Bobble at any point, so that you don't die on their upkeep. That would Hopefully be I don't have any mineral triggers floating around. But, uh, yeah, so just looking at like the challenge results from yesterday in the modern challenge, I saw three grinding breach decks in the top 32. Two of them were playing Iconoclast main deck, one was not. It looked like they kept the Teferi Splash, a very important card for the deck. So I was initially thinking maybe they would just cut the white. Like I saw someone in the 5-0s this week had done that. They just dropped white and used yeah. those slots for the Iconoclast. But it looks like the more successful builds are doing what you said, Mord of keep Teferi, cut Ledger Shredder. There's a decklist that won a tournament in Singapore that went 7-0 playing a one of Sky Ascendancy and Iconoblast. <laughs> the Spice. Alright, so definitely a role player there, right? I don't think it like fundamentally changes that deck or its plans. Yeah. Same is probably true for this deck that I have to call Grixis Tempo. We used to call this Grixis Death Shadow, but as we've seen, Death Shadow has become the least important card in the deck. And indeed, they have cut the Death Shadow in this build from deck Faden 07. They've cut Death Shadow and just replaced it with Iconoclast and got a 5-0. Yeah, yeah. It's Grixis Tempo, just play this card, play Drowning the Lock, play Removals, and play Protect the Queen, play an Iconoclast, get 4-5-1 dudes that's gonna win you the game. We've seen Tolerian Serpent tried in this same shell last set, so it seems like you can just tinker with your final threat slot there, and, you know, who knows? Time will tell if that becomes anything. But again, role player for the Iconoclast, for sure. Exactly. So in terms of modern decks that actually feature Iconoclast, I mean, the only one we've seen is the one that we talked about last week uh, when we were looking at Week 1 technology, and that's Aspiring Spikes, Is It Iconoclast Brew? I think um, Freaky Nasty was, was also one of the first to run this, but he was running Thought Monitor instead of Thoughtcast, which was a lot worse in the long game. The Thought Monitor was worse than the Thoughtcast, really? It was super hard. Like, the deck was super consistent at getting two, three artifacts on board. Maybe the fourth one in mid-game, but never the fifth and sixth. Interesting. So, like, the Thought Monitor was super expensive. Yeah, I mean, the difference between not being able to cast something at all and getting to draw two cards for one mana is huge. <laughs> yeah, I assume the same thing you did, like, it was going to be better. Also, the fact Monitor doesn't trigger third-path Iconoclast, so they don't, like, loop as good as well. So structurally, this deck has a lot in common with Is It Grinding Breach? They both have Ragavan, they both have Emery, they both have Expressive Iteration, Bauble, and Urza Saga Package. The difference is that instead of playing the combo, so instead of playing grinding stations, classes oracles, underworld breach, etc., uh, Aspiring Spike just used those slots for interaction. 
Uh, so he got four Metallic Rebukes, four Thawcast, Spell Pierce, Galvanic Blast. A few more Ursa Sagas, Bullets, Main Deck, Soul Guide Lantern. Mithra's Research Deck is popping up in a lot of deck lists. Yep, the one of Research Desk, which looks like it's going to be a staple of any red-based Saga package. And yeah, I mean, Iconoclast just features a lot better here. You're getting the artifact tokens to pump up the Urza Saga constructs to fuel your Thawcast, fuel your Metallic Rebukes. It's a beautiful card here. It super well exploits the fact that there are artifacts either giving you like 15-15 and constructs or just making the Thawcast a lot cheaper. Yeah, so a nice little brew. Uh, we talked about it last week, so I don't want to belabor it too much. But I think in terms of testing this in Modern, if you just want to see like what the Iconoclast can do, right? I, lo- I love how this deck features it really strongly. I agree. Also, going back at anything to what I said, when we read Mishra's research decks, did we ever realize it was until your next end step? The end step of your next turn? You lie. It's the end step of your next turn. You have so much time to cast whatever that exiles. Are you sure? It's not your next end step. Okay, one to cast, one to activate, sacrifice the research desk, exile the top two cards of your library, choose one, until the end of your next turn. Did you errata this card when I wasn't looking? I I had the same freaking issue. My opponent, I was playing against this deck and my opponent just excelled a podcast and they were like, they had a land and a podcast. So I was like, okay, they are tapped out. They're just going to exile the land and that's it. That's fine. And they excited the podcast. And I was like, wait, are they dumb? And I realized, no, I have the stupid. And next turn, I started a turn with the free podcast. And I was like, oh, this card leads you cast it for so, for so freakingly long. So Mishra's research desk is a card that features in several of the lists that David has built for us today. I think it's a card we're going to be seeing a lot more of. It might be a card that just deserves its own week soon because it's surprisingly good from what I've seen so far. I don't know if you can give it a week because I don't know if you can build around it, but it's such a good role player in all these Ursa decks. Like it's the best card you can get for value. It's like a look at four, draw two. Yeah, in modern, its, its role is much more limited. But, I mean, in Pioneer, yeah. it's one of the most important artifact tools. Yeah. Maybe that's the place to play, like, a whole playset of values, Mystery Research Disk. So, what do we have? Talking about Pioneer. Why is the Iconoclast in Pioneer? Yeah, exactly. So we'll jump to Pioneer now, where the first deck, which I think is quite straightforward, we can call this, is it Pyromancers? If you like Young Pyromancer, now you have more. Right? There's no Mishra's Baubles here, so you're, you're not going to be triggering this with any clever artifacts. You're just playing the best cantrips in Izzet. So you have that blue package, Consider, Ops, Treasure Cruise, etc. Some red removal spells. Very standard stuff. You do need some threats, so now you have the option to go, okay, four Young Pyromancer, four Third Path Iconoclast. You might want something else. Ledger Shredder makes sense, because you're going to be casting Considers and Ops. A card that we've seen people trying, especially last week at the regional championships, is Balmor Battle Mage Captain, a card that gives all your random tokens plus one plus zero and trample whenever you cast spells. So it's a nice way to complement the threat suite. Yeah, to just close out the game, have four or five tokens, has two cantrips, and get in for fifteen with trample. Exactly. 
And the only other spicy card here is the card of one mind. Interesting attribute of young pyromancer is that it's a human and it generates a non-human token. And that's exactly the condition required to satisfy of one mind. That's a three mana to draw two, but if you have a human and a non-human, they, they are of one mind and they only charge you one blue mana. So now you have eight two drops that satisfy of one mind by themselves. So we can play, let's say, three copies of that. So the list that David has sketched out here is very basic, and I saw several other people testing basically the same concept. You know, you can tweak the numbers on the spell slot to your liking. But this would be like the standard starting place, nothing too spicy going on, just a very baseline, is it, spells brew. Also in Pioneer, there's a huge advantage to Iconoclast against one of the bigger meta decks, which is Mono White, which is Iconoclast plays around Brave the Elements. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so it's colorless tokens. Exactly, so if we're playing against Mono White, Iconoclast is so much better than Young Pyromancer because they never get to swing in efficiently. They can do those weird Bravery Elements get in for lethal on one turn. You just have a bunch of colorless blockers ready to stop any assault. Okay, I like that a lot. So that's a huge advantage in Iconoclast that doesn't seem like particularly... Point. That doesn't pop up at first sight, but... Really makes the difference in a matchup that has to be close, and it's really popular. So David has put two Obliterating Bolt in his list, and this is one of the other breakout cards from the set. One in a red sorcery, four to a creature, or a planeswalker. Exile that thing if it dies. It's basically Lava Coil, but it hits planeswalkers. Lava Coil didn't really see a lot of play. Adding the planeswalker clause was enough to make Obliterating Bolt one of the absolute go-to cards, especially on sideboards, but sometimes even in main decks. I think Lava Coil was close, was just a bit too narrow in some places. And it being able to shoot stuff down like a card that has resolved, or a Wandering Emperor or such, is just what it needed to go over the line. Yeah, it's, there's not that many Planeswalkers in Pioneer, but the ones that exist are so punishing. You just you just hate yourself every time you draw a Lava Coil, and it's like, oh, there's that Karn, or there's the Narset they brought in that is completely screwing me, <laughs> and I'm playing a Lava Coil that cannot target it. So that was just one of those aggravations of the format that is thankfully behind us now that Obliterating Bolt exists. But even I'm surprised at how much play it's seeing. Like, there's a Gruul deck that's like Gruul Vehicles with Reckless Stormseeker that it's playing like four Obliterating Bolt's main deck. That deck is insane. When that deck has a fast start, I just feel like I'm losing that game. It's just so punishing. Yeah, I think what surprises me is that I think of that as aggressive, and therefore I why play a burn spell that can't hit, you know, hit players, but there just isn't a burn spell like that in Pioneer. So this is the best we can do. <laughs> Kills the old growth trolls, they don't come back, that's very important. This is the troll killer, like, this card is clearly the troll killer. Like, that's what it's here for, that's, that's why you would play Lava Coil. Yeah, exactly. Alright, you ready for something a little spicier? Ready. Waiting for it. <laughs> okay, because we haven't seen it yet. What can Third Path Iconoclast really do? So these next three decks that David has built for us... They're going into that artifact clause. They're going hard into that artifact clause. Both the fact that it generates artifacts and the fact that it triggers off artifacts. So starting with the fact that Third Path Iconoclast generates an artifact token, what does that do for us? What can we benefit from that like wants to have a bunch of artifacts in play in Pioneer? One of the cards we've liked in the past is Galazeth Prismari. Four mana dragon, three four flying, 
brings along a treasure, and then it grants all of your artifacts the ability to tap for any color of mana without sacrificing themselves, as long as you use that mana to cast a spell, the instance of sorceries, rather. And I've tried this in all kinds of stuff. I've even tried this in Modern with like Gingerbread Cabins and Galazath, Prismari, and Bring to Light. It's a lot of fun. It's a surprisingly good card. And the fact that, you know, it's just like a 3-4 that makes a treasure is already not bad. You love Flying Ursa. I do. I do love Flying Ursa. <laughs> flying Rainbow Ursa. So let's imagine that we have four Third Path Iconoclasts, three Galazath, Prismari. We're going to want some spells. If we fill up the rest of the deck with spells, well... Uh, if we ever get those Iconoclast and Galazath going at the same time, we'll be paid off, but we just might not have enough artifacts. Like, what if we don't draw the Third Path Iconoclast? So David is thinking of this, and he's saying, okay, what if we just need more of that effect? We need more ways to generate artifacts. So it turns out that Sahili, the three-mana Sahili from War of the Spark, has very similar text, right? She makes a servo token whenever you cast a non-creature spell. So with two Sahilis and four Third Path Iconoclasts, now you have a decent chance to have a bunch of artifact tokens if you can stick one of those. Then eventually you draw Galazeth, play that, and now you have a bunch of mana at your disposal to like do all your fun stuff with spells. Now you gotta win the game, and this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> so this is, how do you actually win? This is where it gets a bit funky. Yeah, I'm not actually convinced that this deck can win, but the theory is, alright, we definitely need Considers Opt and Treasure Cruise. That, that's locked, that's 12 slots. Let's get some red spells in there. So Voltaic Surge is kind of nice. It's going to take advantage of our artifacts. You can sack one, one of the tokens to get the fully kicked Voltaic Surge. Spikefield is great. Two Spikefield Hazard. Yes, very nice. We still haven't named anything that wins the game. So David is betting that All Runs Epiphany, yes, that All Runs Epiphany, the one that was the scourge of standard for a while. What if that's just enough to win the game? It's seven mana, time warp, plus a couple birds. Does that win? I mean, I guess that's the question. So if you can cast one Epiphany, maybe two, you've got a ton of mana because Galazeth is there doing his thing. Is that enough? I'm not totally sure, but this is a deck to find out. I think it is. Like, if you have, let's imagine you have like a Galazeth, a third path, and just cast an Aldruns. That gets you what? A 3-4 flyer, a 2-1, a 1-1, and two dorks. Like, assuming your next turn is just another Alter of the Epiphany, you swing for, like, what, 6 and 10? Like, you're getting for 16 just with that, assuming you, you literally don't cast another instant or sorcery. You're pretty likely to win, I think, if you cast your Alruns. The problem is getting to cast Alruns. Well, that's if you have two Alruns. I mean, I almost wonder if you should just play, um, like, Galvanic Iteration or something, so that you can actually... It has one. Okay, there is one there. Good. Yeah, so this was one of the issues, was we need stuff to spend our Galazeth mana on. So I was going back and forth with David about what are some card draw effects we can put in, preferably with flashback. Galvanic Iteration is one such card, and I think Arcane Infusion is the other one that we settled on. Yeah. Just a clean two mana look at your top four, instant, flashback or five. And of your top four, you get to take a spell instead of sorcery. So it's, it's not great, but if you have surplus mana... It's one of the better ways to assemble your spell-based combos. Yeah, it's like a double impulse. Then a couple is a charms, a couple big scores, uh, and a saloon division. So again, trying to ter- take our MDFC slots and convert them into card draw. Yeah, I have three MDFCs, two spike field and one saloon D. 
All right, so that's fairly straightforward. What if Galazeth pays us off? Further down this same rabbit hole. All right, we're making artifact tokens. We got the iconoclast. This is a lot deeper down the same rabbit hole. Like, we're going deeper and deeper. Yeah, we, <laughs> we've passed, like, the gentle rabbits, you know, the respectable rabbits, and we've gone further down the hole to where the kind of <laughs> low-life rabbits... These are not respectable rabbits. Yeah. Then we're even kind of leaving them behind. We're going to the, the furthest, deepest underground layers. So what if instead of Galazeth Prismari, what if we used Inspiring Statuary? Homeless man's Urza. Mord is devastated by this. He can't believe we're talking about Inspiring Statuary. For anybody that has taste and doesn't remember exactly what the card does, three mana artifact, non-artifact spells you cast have Improvise, which means... You're giving artifact convoke to all your other spells. Improvise is like a super nerfed affinity. It's However, convoke. it's a unique effect. It's convoke. Convoke for artifacts, yeah. Good. It's artifact convoke. So let's just imagine that we've got the iconoclast and we've generated some tokens. Then we draw our statuary, and now the plan has all come together. <laughs> What are we going to get paid off for? And the, the trick with Inspiring Statuary is that it cannot cast artifact spells. So you need to have non-artifact payoffs that, while simultaneously having a lot of cheap artifacts. It's a very hard card to meet the conditions for this. The payoffs that David has chosen are the colorless ones. So he's got a full playset of eight mana Ugin, a couple Ulamogs, and it looks like three Karn Cyan this is the only way to make a card instructs in Pioneer. So that's the payoff, that, uh, that nine-card package. What haven't we done yet? Well, we actually haven't generated any artifacts yet. So we have our Instatuaries, we have our Iconoclasts. This is kind of tough. We've got the four Third Path Iconoclasts, the two Sahilis. We need spells to trigger the Iconoclasts. So let's get some Voltage Surge. Let's get some Moonstare Prototypes. Let's get some Mishra's Research Desk. We're benefiting from the fact that we don't actually need to play Opt and Consider here. Yeah, we're all in on artifacts and the four Fable. Right, so what we're lacking in is like artifact card draw velocity, if you will. And this is where Mishra's Research Desk really comes into play in a big way. There's four copies here, and I, th I think it's got to be one of the most important cards in this build. Like, this has to play the role of your Opt and your Consider. Like, you play it because it triggers the Iconoclast, it feeds your statuary, but it also is just like one of the few actual card draw spells in the deck. It fixes your draws, exactly. So when you're looking at this mord, an Iconoclast deck that actually plays zero instants of sorceries that say draw a card, I mean, are you on board? I mean, I can totally be on board. My fear is, in order to cast our big threats, we need both a surviving Iconoclast, an inspiring statuary, and a big threat. I guess if you wanted to ramp the hard way, you could do a Moonstair prototype. There's four here. You could do the Fable token. That's another mana. Yeah, Moonstair prototype is great because it's a way to use our artifacts. But this Moonstair prototype doesn't work if you have Statuary because unless you have exactly your only non-artifact creature, which is the Fable token and the third path. Well, if we have Statuary, we're all set. Everything's great. <laughs> How could they win if we have the Statuary? We have a three-man artifact. How can they win? It's like Snaring Witch, but better. Yeah. I, I like going deep, 
into the non-artifact part, like just playing good cards, not requiring to play a lot of instant sorceries, I'm a bit afraid that this might be chewed out the rabbit hole. Too many moving pieces. Yeah, I'm worried that you'll just n never cast the Ugins. Like, they seem so expensive. <laughs> and the Ulamog also seems so expensive. I mean, Ugin might be castable, like, you have four lands, a statuary that taps for... So the statuary taps for one, you have a token flying around, a prototype and a treasure. I can really see, like, a turn five Ugin or turn four happening consistently. Ulamog, though? <laughs> That's another episode. Yeah, so what if we cut the Ulamogs and we just play another Karn? Yeah, I like the placement of Karn before the first 10 mana threat. Okay. Yeah, I think that if this deck is going to succeed at all, it's got to be on the back of the research desk. Like, it just does everything for this for this deck. You need something to make your Moonstar prototypes actually work, and the research desk does that. You need something to draw cards and get card advantage. It does that. You need to trigger the Iconoclasts. does all that. So. It's kind of like we, we took a random pile of cards and just like slapped some research desks onto it, and we're just going to hope for the best. I'm excited for it. It's a solid plan. We just have to have all the moving pieces survive. And really, really hope we never get K Commander. Never. Please never. Well, if you liked that combination of Moonster Prototype, Research Desk, and Iconoclast, can I interest you in our fourth Pioneer Brew? I mean, you can sell me on it, and I might be closer. So we're keeping that same core of four Iconoclast, two Sahili. Okay. Three mana Sahili, that is. We're actually doubling down on it a little bit. We've added Psy Master Thopterist, so now we're really just trying to cast artifacts. And we've added Hercule Master Wizard, the new one from Brothers War. At your end step, if you cast, uh, what is it, Instance of Sorcery, is that what it says? No, if you cast a non-creature... Any non-creature spell, you look at five and you have any of that same type of non-creature spell to your hand. So potentially drawing two multiple cards a turn, right? If you have an artifact, an instant... In this deck, I think it's three tops. Yeah, you have a Sahili, you get a second Sahili. <laughs> you can play better. your one Planeswalker and find your second Planeswalker. But I think exactly. it's mostly so you can go instant an artifact and draw two. Semi-consistently. Like, it's going to draw you one every turn and two in the best turn. All right, so we keep prototypes. We keep research desk. We're going a little bit harder. Now we're playing four Spring Leaf Drum and four Mox Amber. Why? Well, because we're playing Paradoxical Outcome. Full playset. So this is at the very, very bottom of the, the rabbit hole. We're down in the icy depths, far beneath the iceberg. I do think we went so far the threshold. So with that dig a hole, right? And the center mm -hmm. of the earth, like the boily, like the hottest, most unlivable place. Sure, where the dinosaurs are. Was the the previous deck. Was inspired by Tetray. Oh, okay. So that that was like the T-Rexes who live in the center of the earth. Exactly. That's like the, the boiling port. That's where you can survive. I think this has that so deep that it's close to the surface on the other side. Oh, okay. So we're we're coming out on China. Yeah, yeah, so in, in your case, you're coming out like in Uruguay, but yeah. <laughs> okay. You, you're coming out like straight on the... We're reaching the surface because we are back to being... We went from Sorcerer's and Instant to Artifacts, and the other deck was like right in the middle. We're playing everything, and we're hardcasting an Yugin somehow. 
<laughs> so you like a paradoxical outcome. Oh, I love paradoxical outcome. The theory is so cute, right? That we have all these crappy artifacts that we had to play to generate tokens, and they just don't do anything on the board. So what if we just pick them all back up, draw a card for each one, and then we can cast them again and trigger the Iconoclast again. Hopefully we haven't died during all of this, but I mean, we have a much more explosive setup with prototypes and Springleaf drums and Ambers. Like, we actually have a lot of fast mana, if you could believe that, in Pioneer. Yeah, I don't think it's a... This looks a lot, like, nicer. When your payoff is a 4-mana instant that worst-case scenario is going to draw you one or two cards, it's a much better floor than a 10-mana Ulamog you're going to hardcast in the year of our lore 2027. Yeah, now the the challenge is going to be killing them. We don't have anything as clean as, as Ugin. We, all we can do is generate tokens and attack. But we can generate a lot of tokens. Yeah, third path plus Psy. So you go like Moxamber, Moonsnare, Stringlifthram, Moonsnare, Paradoxical Outcome, then recast everything. It's like, what, if you have a third path and a Psy, 18 tokens? Oh gosh, really? Yeah. Okay. So Mox, Springleaf, um, Double Moonsnare plus Paradoxical is 4 plus 1 plus 4 because you recast for free. Like, if you have those scenarios where you have 3, 4 artifacts and like 2 creatures, you win. And that doesn't seem completely unachievable. Yeah, maybe. I like how the Paradoxical gives us another card draw outlet, so it's, it's not just the research desk holding everything together. So we have the four research desks, we have the four paradoxicals. Sai can draw cards in a pinch. You could even have Sahili like turn an artifact into a research desk if you're really desperate. It was so much weight on its tiny poor shoulders. <laughs> exactly. Also, Sak, it's deck, desk, not deck. Freaking nasty has been tormenting him for that for the past weeks. Now I'm back on that boat. So if Sak ever hears this, desk. <laughs> Mishra's research deck, is that what they're calling it? That's what Zach was calling it. Mishra's playtest deck? Okay. That would have been a great name. But he was then picturing like deck, like a deck of cards, more like a deck, like a laptop, like a computer, like like a deck. Ah, I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. Like a stream deck. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mishra streamer? Well, so that's some ideas for Third Path Iconoclast. I think the Pioneer ones look more fun. Um, I mean, I like Aspiring Spike's Modern Brew, but in terms of like the spice, these Pioneer ones, especially this last one, speaks more to my soul. Yeah. The 8 Pioneer one has been tested a lot the past couple of days. Like that immediately what lured people in. People went like straight into that. Mm-hmm. But I really like this alternative. Yeah. I just want to call a I called it shot with the fact that every Asorius a lot of Asorius control decks in Pioneer are running the really bad wild removal, which they change their mana base to play. What lay down arms? Yeah. Mm, we'll see. We'll see if that sticks. <laughs> I think it's terrible, but we'll see. I thought it was terrible until they casted it against me the other day, and I was like, "Oh no, I don't. What mana kill a dork? That shouldn't be possible in Pioneer." All right, so that wraps up our brief session on Third Path Iconoclast. Next up is a flashback. We tested Diabolic Intent, a card that we talked about in our previous show. And we had a few different ideas for this. I mean, it's a pretty open-ended card. 
all it is is a demonic tutor that makes you sacrifice something, so lots of different decks could theoretically find themselves, you know, sure, I'll take a tutor, why not, if I can support it. So we had a few ideas that were like existing decks, and we shoehorn in some Diabolic Intents. We had some others that were more purpose-built, like, okay, we're going to build a sacrifice deck from scratch with a combo finish, etc., etc. Lots of different ways you can go. Um, I think we each just picked two that spoke to us personally. Mord, you were playing Modern. Uh, why don't we start with you? What did you test for Diabolic Intent, and how did it go? So I was testing a deck list that I have played a lot in the past, which was the Magda. So we have reached the point with Anthony, with I play Bad Deck, for in a weekly basis, we settle on a tribe. A Magda deck list is built around that tribe. It has been angels, it has been merfolk, it has been insects, it has been goblins. So you take out the flex pots and add those setups as payoffs for the other. For example, if you're playing merfolk, you have your changelings that get pumped with the lords. If you're playing goblins, you have the combo and you can play and Snoop can cast the one mana changelings off the top of your deck. If you're playing angels, you have Giara, which is not only a mana dork, but also makes your changelings start getting exponentially bigger. And then you have like the three mana Kalia is in the name of the angel. You look at the top five and you put a demon, a dragon, and an angel into your hand, and you just put three changelings. Yeah, I love that interaction. Kalia, Zenith Seeker with the changelings. <laughs> Draw three. So the last iteration we played was with insects, and I was like, what this deck wants is a way to either find Grist or Magda more consistently. And I have a lot of one drops and two drops and Grist tokens that just do nothing. So I added three Diabolic Intents. Seems like a decent way, also works great with Bial because you can just sacrifice and put it into play the same turn. The results were less than great, we got a 2-3, which could have been worse. So, Diabolic Intent in this build, I mean, you're almost entirely creatures. You have 26 creatures plus 4 Grist, 4 Aether Vial, 3 Diabolic Intent. Almost every scenario, I imagine you're searching for a creature, right? Yeah. This is one of those scenarios where, like, you didn't have to play Intent specifically. You could have played a different creature-specific tutor. But there isn't one that just costs a single peep. And on these mana bases... Sorry, the mana base wasn't that different than the one showing here. I had to add a few swamps, a few shocklands. But look at the mana base. You're playing 12 creature lands. You can't afford to double peep on your tutors or any non-creature you're playing. Like, Elamre Skull is literally uncastable. I see. Eldritch Revolution, no chance with double green. No chance. So that's what makes the deck building hard for that sort of like tutor. You can't play Imperial Recruiter because you're going to have to play a card on human. Like it's really hard to splash a double peep, even one peep sometime. So the Avalic Intent seems like an interesting way to tutor because the, the better ones are uncastable. One of the other requirements is that you, you have to have some cards in the deck that are much more powerful than others that you actually want to search for. So. This is kind of a strange build, but what, what are the cards that you're really likely to tutor for? No, there's two. There's Grist, Magda, and Amothas Changeling if you already have a Magda. Those are the three best creatures in your deck, like by a mile. Grist plus one tends to get you like three or four tokens. Like you semi mill to a land, so it's like on average two or three hits, because everything is an insect. You have like 20, 20 you have like 30 insects almost. Yeah, almost 30. Well, not Magda, but 26. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then Magda, whenever you have a few changelings, it's just the winning card. 
Oh wait, no, Blax is not an insect. What a disaster. Blax <laughs> okay, is not audience. an insect. Blax is a pest. He's a vexing pest. It's only a pest for his sucks. Disaster. This is all this is all an Anthony's fault. <laughs> well, so a little bit of an optimistic concept, but we love the Magda Changelink show. I just always try new stuff in Magda. I just hope that the like, error becomes decent. Also, as a payoff for playing Portal to Phyrexia as one of the cards we can tutor with Magda instead of Vola Citadel. So, as you play the matches, I mean, when you drew the Die Ball Contents, like, how did it feel? What did you do with it? It wasn't terrible. It just... Recording to sacrifice a creature makes so your synergies become a lot worse, right? Like, let's say I have the Magda and a Moth Dust. I don't want to sacrifice any of them for a Grist. Like, I really want a Grist. But I need my two pieces for the third one to be good sometimes. Man, like your worst creature is the Universal Automaton, I guess. But like you're playing it because it's useful. You want these cards in play. Yeah, exactly. And that's what also happened with the other decklist I played, which was like the Hammer Diabolic Intent decklist. I went 3-2 with that, but it wasn't because of Diabolic Intent. I went 3-2 because I was playing 55 cards out of regular Hammer. And you could add then eight mountains to a hammer deck list instead of the eight flex spots and go three two. <laughs> that's how powerful the mainframe of hammer is. So I think that's one of the lists that we mentioned last week. Basically mono white hammer, and you just adjusted the mana to splash how many intents? Three, four? It was three intents and the four thoughts is in the sideboard. Like you also have a tiny bit of utility for the black man on the sideboard. Was there like a main deck? interactive piece that you ever tutor for or were you just tutoring for the combo in game one no it's a super consistent like it's super consistent at finding cigarda sale or paladin because the thing is always like super capable of finding hammer right the four hammer the four stoneforge mystic and the four sagas makes it so you can always find your hammer but most of your opponent removal gets pointed at the enablers at the cigarda sale or the paladin and they're harder to find so it's like it replaces Steel Shaper's Gift, so instead of having 15 ways to find Hammer, you still have 15 ways because you got the Amonic Intent for it, but now you have 11 to find your Enablers. Gotcha. That's what it's there for. So the cards you can feed to the Intent would be Memnites, Ornithopters, I think you had four of each, Esper Sentinels if you're really feeling greedy. But, I mean, again, these are cards you're not that happy to sacrifice. That was my biggest issue as well, like, a lot of the time, I wanted, I had the hammer in hand, I had the, and I wanted the cigar sale, but I only had one creature on board. Yeah, I can go get a paladin, but I know my opponent has like a bolt. Can you think of any games where the intent like saved you, where it really made everything come together? It won me a game. It was like the perfect top day one game where I was like, I was playing against um, a sketchy deck, so I didn't care about my creatures. Like, I had an Intopter flying around that was completely irrelevant, and I was just pressuring with a bunch of main mites. And I had, like, a hammer stuck in hand, and I just, like, top the grab, sacrifice an Intopter, get a Cigarra Sail, get in with the hammer. It was like, just get a Cigarra Sail straight into the battlefield for three mana, which was perfect. And I think there's some notion to that. Like, I think having another better ways to find um, Cigarra Sail or Paladin are really important. However, I don't think with the normal build of Hammer you can afford to sacrifice creatures so consistently. You don't have that many creatures in that deck. I mean, you have a few spare ones, but it's not like you're flattening creatures. You are winning, generally, if you're flattening creatures. I mean, there is no card that I know of that can tutor for Sigarda's Aid, right? 
It's really hard. It's really hard to find a one-man enchantment. Like, I have looked and around, like, besides stuff like a Moonless Cleric. <laughs> yeah. An Idyllic Tutor. Like, the fact Moonless Oof, Cleric and gosh. Idyllic Tutor are the best ways to find an enchantment tells you how hard it is. Yeah. Okay, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I, I mean, if you're considering this card a better Idyllic Tutor with the advantage of sometimes signing Hammer and Paladin. That's great, but I think you need more ways to get fodder to sacrifice. Cethus has only Thunder's main minds and Esper Sentinels didn't feel like enough fodder. And it's hard to come up with additional fodder that doesn't just make the deck worse. Like, I don't know what that would be. Like, what, what would the extra fodder be? Yeah. So, what about Pioneer? Well, actually, I played one modern list and one Pioneer list, so I'll tell you about the modern deck first. Okay. It's a zombie bombardment deck that the pilot's nameless you got a 5-0 with last week. Pretty standard zombies with a light splash for three goblin bombardments. So you have your grave crawlers, you have your champion of the perished, you have carrion feeders, you have shambling gas, you have a bunch of ways to get on the board with a one drop. Undead augurs, one of the most important cards, it lets you draw a card whenever any zombie dies, and you lose a life, which is kind of awkward, that's a forced life loss, but Luckily, you can just sacrifice the Undead Augur to the Bombardment when you're ready to go off. Had to do that a few times. In a three slot, two Geralt's Messenger, four Headless Rider. This one is from one of the recent Innistrad sets. And I gotta say, I was impressed by Headless Rider. It's a card that I actually had not played in previous versions of this deck. I just haven't played it since this card came out, and it was surprisingly great. The games where you have, like, Cardion Feeder, Grave Crawler, and a Headless Rider under the over are just insane. One black mana, make a choo-choo, or draw a card, or both, just puts you so far ahead. Yeah, so Headless Rider 3-1-4-3. Whenever any non-token zombie you control dies, you get a 2-2 zombie token. So it protects itself, uh, it turns all of your Grave Crawlers into a bunch of extra zombie tokens... Just having the Goblin Bombardment and the Headless Rider in play usually meant I could just finish someone off from like 5 to 7 life. So that was very impressive. Hmm. There is two copies of Liliana Untouched by Death for that, that weird combo with Shambling Ghast, Bombardment, and Liliana's minus 3 ability. So I did that a couple times. Um, but that just takes forever to set up. And then three Diabol Contents, the card we're testing. What are you getting with the intent? Well, in theory, you could find the Bombardment. You could find some part of that Liliana Bombardment Shambling Gas combo. I have a few interactive spells here. I have Lightning Bolts, three copies, one Bone Shards. I decided to go with one Grief uh, instead of a Thoughtseize, just in case like I was tapped out. I imagined that I would tap out for Diabolic Intent and have like extra cards in hand with the Undead Augur. Who knows? That could just be a Thoughtseize or a fourth Lightning Bolt. But yeah, the idea was, okay, we'll just do a zombie thing, we'll pressure them, and because we have some bad creatures, you know, let's just give Diabolic Intent a chance. Nameless you managed to get this to 5-0. Um, I changed like a couple cards, but ran back basically the same thing, and for me it was a lot uh, less spectacular. I got a 2-3, one of those matches I misclicked, so it should have been a 3-2, but... Not like a strong 3-2, just like a, a weak 3-2. <laughs> the weak 3-2. You have the weak 3-2 and the strong 2-3. They're really close bodies. Yeah, like the, the wins were not convincing wins by any stretch. Like, okay, I misclicked, so I lost a mill instead of beating mill, but like that's nothing to write home about. 
Uh, I beat like a bad mono red homebrew and affinity. The problems with zombies are just always going to be the same. Like it's never going to be a great deck. Really has a hard time interacting. So when you prepare it against anything that has a combo or anything that's trying to go over the top, you really can't stop them. So I got paired against Yogmoth. I got paired against Amulet Titan, and I just couldn't stop them from going off. The best you can do is like try to be aggressive, and zombies are not very good at that. No. So, yeah, like in in theory, you could combo them out with the Liliana combo. It's just it's just way too slow. And the intent finding interactive pieces didn't really help either because I didn't have any good interaction. Like you can't beat those decks with one card, unfortunately. So yeah, I was pretty disappointed in Diabol Content here. It was okay a couple of times, but honestly, it would have been better as Profane Tutor. Like it was pretty rare that I had a turn where I wanted to tutor for a card and I had like two free mana that I wasn't using for anything else. Also the Delta. I think your deck is not big enough. Like, outside of you going always for the Lily combo or a song, like you have the infinite combo with Lily plus Shambling Gust. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I imagine that I would normally search for Goblin Bombardment, although in practice I search for Lightning Bolts more than anything else. <laughs> Sometimes you just need interaction. The only way I can see Intent being good in like a zombie build is to go like full in on the combo, right? For Lily, for Carrion Feeder, for Bombardment, for Shambling Gust for intent and try to consistently have like a turn for a kill. That might have been better. Yeah, because like the generic zombie beatdown was not super impressive. It's not good enough. Like, is there something that Goblins told me is like being just a fair beatdown deck in modern is not gonna cut it most of the time. Yeah, exactly. So not a great home for diabolic intent. Like I said, the Profane Tutor probably would have actually been better, and that's a good thing to keep in mind if you're like really trying to do tutoring in modern. Okay. Finally, going to Pioneer, uh, one of the concepts David thought might be worth exploring is, okay, we'll, we'll pick a combo, right? Because tutors get stronger with combos. One of the best combos in Pioneer is Grease Fang plus Parhelion 2. That has been an Abzan deck. That's been the most successful build. But in theory... You could go a different way. You could go, say, Mardu. In Mardu, uh, you get Blood Tithe Harvester, you get Fable the Mirror Breaker, so you have a lot more blood tokens. Your fair plan gets worse. You no longer have Chariot. You no longer have the same quantity of blind self-mill, like Grisly Salvage, Setter Wayfinder, etc. We don't have all that. Instead, we get a lot more controlled looting. We get blood tokens. We get Fable loots. We get, uh, I'm playing Voldaren Epicure, so we get that. More loots, and I actually decided to play Scrapyard Mutt instead of Rafine's Informant, so I just have a bunch of ways to get that uh, single card looting effect. Diabol Content here can find either Grease Fang or Parhelion, uh, kind of like Cigar Desade in Modern. Previously, there had not really been a card that tutored for Parhelion. So, in theory, this is adding a new dimension, new consistency tool for the Grease Fang strategy. So, a pretty basic configuration, right? all the cards you would expect. Yeah, the Valdaren Epicure. Valdaren Epicure works super well, like it's super interesting. Both the clue and the great way to sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. So I played this through a league, and Grease Fang is such a known quantity in Pioneer right now that everyone's prepared to fight it. So like, even though my, my plan was pretty coherent, people knew what I was up to, and they, they had all the cyborg cards, right? It's like you have to fight through everything. 
because I no longer have Chariot, there really isn't a backup plan anymore. Like it's very hard to win without specifically executing the Grease Fang plan. So when my opponents were able to like kill the Grease Fang at instant speed, right? Like I played against Enigmatic and they just they had leyline biting every single time, three times in a row in the same game <laughs> to stop me from ever doing the thing. I didn't have that like that nice chariot backup plan. You know, I, I got paired against Lotus Field and you know, got him to one life, but one is not zero and they kill him, killed me. So it's like these were not total disasters, but I did like come out on the losing side most of the time. Like I think I went one and four. They were frustrating matches where it was like, okay, I can see the path to victory. I can see how I will win. And then it just like didn't work out. Like I was mana screwed a bunch. I missed so many land drops. I don't know why. This could have gone a different way, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I was sitting on a gold mine of, you know, vastly improved prospects for Mardu, Grease Fang. Again, it came back to intent being super slow. It was okay. It was better here than in modern. It wasn't as slow, but it was still like a half step too slow. It just feels like not only it requires you to have a lot of mana, it like in format like Pioneer, it really struggles against stuff like Eldritch Evolution. Like for the Evolic intent to be better than Eldritch, you have to practically always go look at non creature and have not access to green. So I try to keep track of like what I was tutoring for and like you know, I actually tutor for a land once, which as awkward as that sounds, like that was a decent turn to play. Like turn one Citra Supplier, mill the Parhelion, sack it the Citra, mill three more, get the third land drop, because I'm short on lands always, and then do the thing on turn three. This was much better at comboing off on turn four than I thought it would be. Like it was actually more consistent than I would have expected. But it wasn't as robust. The game plan was just like not as well rounded. There's also Letting our patrons know people that get access to this drive. There's a beautiful run with Dan just hating on our body at Razor. The card screwed me so many times. <laughs> he just feels so much hate for the O3 Dork. I mean, the damn Lotus player combo killed me on turn four twice. Grazer chump blocking saved him at one life. It was just like so frustrating. So frustrating. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, like, like small things like this, like this league was definitely not as bad as the, the record sounds, but at the same time, the intent, like, here's the thing, like I actually looted the intent away three or four times just because like it was the worst card in my hand. It was the most situational card. It requires having extra fodder you don't need. It requires not being too far behind. Sometimes you just naturally loot into the cards you want to tutor for anyway. So it's like definitely not a card I needed three copies of. And maybe I just didn't need it at all. So yeah, not a great showing for intent in this build either, I think. And if we look around the rest of the web, I mean, we talked about last week, okay, he, people are experimenting with intent. They're putting in this, that shell, the other. Uh, in week two, there were far fewer Diabolic Intent decks. There were barely any. Most of the decks just didn't pan out. The archetypes where it had showed up in week one, in week two, those same archetypes, people just stopped playing Diabolic Intent. Yeah. And I think they were correct to do so. So the one thing that seems interesting is in this chance sacrifice, because when we talk why we didn't like it in Ragdoll Sacrifice, because you didn't have like something really powerful to go and get. But when you have like Bola Citadel and Collected Company, are so much more power heavy than the rest of your deck, maybe it's interesting. I don't know if it's good. But at least it fixes the fact that your delta wasn't big enough. 
Yeah, I like the theory behind it. I mean, we talked about that Sam Rolf deck last week that they brought to the regional championships, but it just didn't work out. They didn't do very well, and the deck has kind of fallen off. So, yeah, I don't know. We called this card overrated. I don't think I fully understood how bad it was until I had it in my hand a bunch of times. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was not impressed. All right, so that's Diabolic Intent. Before we go, Mord, I just want to talk about two more decks, because these are too sweet not to mention. <laughs> so these will be our picks of the week. They have no relationship to Diabolic Intent. These These are using... Well, I was going to say good cards. They're using better cards, more successful cards. One is in Modern, one is in Pioneer. So we have one with David's favorite and one with Dan's and two and one with two of Dan's favorites. That's what they said. Exactly, exactly. So why don't you tell us about the Modern one? So I was watching this on stream actually, so I actually have seen how the deck plays. They're talking about Spikes, Shand Food, which is actually... Rule four, the only green, the only black card is Oval Chase Daredevil, featuring favorite, two favorite cards from Dan from last expansion, Scrapwork Map, and Sadin Steel Seeker. Sadin Steel Seeker is the two mana one two. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield, you may look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, you draw it. If it isn't a land, you may put it in the graveyard or keep it on top. So as you start making a lot of foods with your underworld cookbooks and just like. Tapping it every single turn with a Daredevil, you're just stocking up your graveyard, finding your Daredevils, finding your Fisting Troll Kings, finding your mats, as well as just throwing a bunch of lands to find your Ursa Saga and giving you all the land drops you might need. So four copies of the Seren Steelseeker. It was quite good. Like, whenever he went, like, throw one Cuckoo, throw two Steelseeker, and every single turn get, a, get like, a Freeze or Bail that just throws you lands, was great. Was it great even when he didn't have the Oval Chase Daredevil yet? So I saw it only two times without the Daredevil, and in one he found the Daredevil. Okay, because it digs pretty quickly. If you don't want the card, you just mill it. Turn two Steel Seeker. It was in a pretty, it was like against Hammer, so it didn't like die super quickly. And turn three, he went like something like tap my cookbook, draw a land, make a construct saga on end step, draw a and draw, mill something. Go to my draw step, make a construct on draw step, and mill other devil. So my question is, like, how does this deck not die? Right, there's almost no interaction. So it's four Asmo, four Cookbook, four Daredevil. Right, that's kind of the food package. Four Feasting Troll King, four Seren Steel Seeker, four Gilded Goose, four Scrapwork Mutt, three Renin Six, four Finalia Devastation that primarily just gets Asmo into play for green green. You have just the smallest of saga packages, one Shadow Spear, one Springleaf Drum, one Research Desk, and two Trail of Crumbs. Four is a saga, that's how a lot of your wins come from. He did say Trail of Crumbs was the worst card in the deck, and he would like take out the crumbs and like a hero might to the main deck and something else. But like, how do you survive? You just have to get the Troll King down fast? Asmos is a great way to survive. Like a lot of unfair, a lot of aggressive decks really struggle with Asmo. Like I faced a really similar deck with Goblins, and when Asmo touched the battlefield, it was like super hard to remove it for that sort of deck, and it just pressures you to keep playing around it. Okay, so this is really, really counting on Asmo to do all that work because you have four you can naturally draw, and the four finale is to get Asmo for two mana. Yeah. 
as long as you dodge like combo decks, and I mean like not like hammer, I mean like real combo deck, I think you can be in a good place. But if you face like storm, escape shift, there's not a lot of that flying around in the meta. Hmm. And you can beat living in. And what about Scrapwork Mutt? Four copies of the Scrapwork Mutt. This is two to cast, two to unearth, ETB, discard, then draw. Uh, draw if you discard it, I should say. You could draw. So the meme on stream was people laughing at Spike whenever he said meeting a Scrapwork Mutt was value. Because he was saying he can get us value, finding Scrapwork back into the graveyard, or we can discard a mat and unearth it. And everybody laughs as if, as if that was meaningless. And game after game, like Spike just managed to unearth one, get a trolling in the graveyard, and win him the game. Like just having the utility of of having a creature that you can just discard to the cookbook or mill it with Silent Steel Seeker, and also being an artifact that draws your constructs, triggers, and triggers the Steel Seeker was great. Okay, so I mean, yeah, it just like feels very slow. It was like a super medium good card. It was a medium role player that did exactly what you would ask for, like a medium role player to do. So it converts an extra Daredevil or an extra land for mana six into a fresh card. It, it puts a Troll King in the graveyard if you don't have a cookbook for that already. You can discard it. It triggers your Steel Seekers. It's free when you mill it off the Stair and Steel Seeker. I mean, yeah, it makes sense it, that it does a little bit. I'm just surprised that it earned so many slots in the deck. It does a lot of tiny things. Yeah, I'm impressed. So Spike had tweeted that he'd had a good run in leagues with this. I think he had gone like 12-2. and two. Took it into the challenge yesterday. He got, looks like, a top 32 finish. 6-2 yeah. and two with the deck. So very impressive. And speaking of impressive challenge finishes, we got to finish with this deck because it comes from friend of the show, LAA11. Straight from the Discord. The player who brought us Blood Tithe Harvester and Pioneer all those months ago. Hard at work on one of the craziest brews I've seen in a while. Not only did he 5-0 with this brew, he took it in the Pioneer Challenge and won the whole thing. First place last weekend in the challenge. This happened like right after we recorded, so we didn't get to talk about it then. But we gotta shout this deck out because it's so sweet. He called it Inverterless Inverter. So Demir Inverter, but without Inverter of Truth. <laughs> Because you can still play Thassa's Oracle. All you have to do is get rid of most of your library, right? If you start with 60 cards, seven of them go in your opening hand. There's 53 cards left. All you have to do is get rid of 50 of those cards, right? Because Thassa's Oracle has devotion. <laughs> then you can just cast the Oracle and win. Sounds crazy, right? But in the way that LAA11 has built this deck... He said he was typically able to mill his own entire library by turn six or so in most games. How is that possible? Well, he's playing the card Demonic Bargain. And we just talked about how bad Diabolic Intent is, right? Tutoring is bad. <laughs> tutoring for two mana is bad, but tutoring for three mana, now that's good. Oh, that's the key. The extra mana is where it's at. That's a challenge-winning play right there. <laughs> Demonic Bargain, two and a black, sorcery. You get to tutor for any card, but before you do that, you have to exile the top 13 cards from your deck. So kind of a callback to Demonic Consultation from Ice Age. Cast it at your own risk, right? So like you better be playing a lot of four ofs here. Not quite, because you, you don't have to name. So there's like 
Like the risk is in losing your specific one-off. Well, I was thinking the risk is in losing your win condition, but I guess I guess you need four of your win condition. Everything else. Exactly. Like so, when I first draw the card, I think it was like sort of like exactly as you said, like um, ambition is the name of the one man. Demonic consultation. Consultation. I thought it was like consultation, right? That, like where you name and you try to find. Here you just access thirteen and then you search your deck. Okay. Yeah, that's true. So that makes it a lot better. So that's a great way to get through your deck in a hurry. The other card that does that work is Falaji Archaeologist. This is David's favorite card from the set. It's one and a blue for a 0-3. ETB, mill three cards. Pick up a non-creature spell of the three that you milled. Put it in your hand. If you don't do that, you can get a 1-4. So almost like strictly better Augur of Bolas. But the thing is, Augur puts the cards on the bottom. Falaji puts them in the graveyard. That means they fuel your treasure cruise. That means they get you closer to milling yourself out. <laughs> so it's just a wild construction. Four Falaji Archaeologists, four Demonic Bargains, four Stitcher Supplier, um, because again, that mill six, which is what we're trying to do. We're just trying to eventually grind through our own entire deck. Because we have Stitcher Supplier and Falaji, these are kind of low-value creatures, so we can play Deadly Dispute. We can even play a Village Rights. Um, four Disputes, one Rights, one Otherworldly Gaze. And then a bunch of interactive cards. Fatal Push, Eliminate, Spell Pierce, four Treasure Crews, because we're going to have tons of stuff in the graveyard. Not as many interactive cards as you might expect. Like, I think this deck is a little bit more focused on just, like, churning through its, itself. You don't have to do that much, right? All you have to do is survive, cast the Oracle, and win. I actually faced this deck thrice in the last two days, when I was, like, spamming Pioneer with the Celestia deck. What do you think? It was good. I actually managed to beat it, but it's also the fact that I'm running like a full playset of so a full playset of voice, a full playset of the anointed peacekeeper. Like the deck is like softly tuned against combo. Ah, uh, nice. So I went two one against it in like three matches, and the deck has like a consistent turn seven kill, turn six, turn seven. Like they go demonic for demonic if they need to that into a treasure cruise and just go off. Yeah, exactly. Surprisingly, you don't really have to demonic for Thassa's Oracle, because you really don't want the Oracle. Like, it's a bad draw. No, you tend to just draw it during the game. You're playing yeah. four. So you demonic for an interactive piece, or you demonic for another demonic if you have plenty of time. And you can't do it too late in the game, just in case you mill all your Thassa's Oracles. Yeah. Uh, it definitely, like, it's a wild construction. It's a wild idea that LAA11 even thought of this, and even wilder that he managed to win the entire Pioneer Challenge last weekend. Yesterday's challenge, it looks like he got uh, 12th place, so he's definitely putting up great results with this. Yeah. Hopefully people will not figure it out yet. There's currently no backup plan whatsoever, so if anyone stone brains you and takes your thesis, that's that's it for you. It's all over. <laughs> If Anointed Peacekeeper comes down, you're in a lot of trouble. But until that happens, I mean, this is one of the sweetest decks we've seen. Yeah. You also have the claim fame in case you ever, like, mill your whole, all your Thassas. Yeah, that gets around the Peacekeeper, too. It's nice. So, uh, yeah, huge congrats to LA11. Like, a new brew all of a sudden winning a challenge just popping off into the meta from nowhere. Yeah, we'd love to see it. Love to see that. Congrats on, like, a huge blowout. Like, no one saw that coming. 
All right. I think that's where we will leave it for today uh, with a little bit of technology from week two hmm. and some decks to test for Third Path Iconoclast. Exactly. And also telling people, if you run Demonic Intent and you find a way to make it good, please let us know. All right, so we will be back later this week with a look at the nominees for our next monthly project. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks so much, and have a nice night. Bye-bye! Decklist for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for the 14 nominees for our next monthly project. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.